Hey everyone, Ed Helms here. You might know me as Andy from The Office or Stu from The Hangover, or you might know me as the co-founder of BGS. I know, I'm just as surprised as you. They let me co-found something. But here's the thing, we're doing it again. Yeah, this time we're leaping into our other deep love, the vast and vibrant world of country music with something we're calling Good Country. Now this isn't just another newsletter. Think of Good Country as a place. A place where you can explore, learn, and dig into all of what makes country good. Seriously, country music has so much going on these days, and it's coming from so many different deep and soulful places, and we're here to cover all of it. Just as we've done for Bluegrass and Roots Music at BGS for over a decade. So sign up now at goodcountrybgs.substack.com and let us bring you the many sides of country music straight to your inbox. Good country. It's a nice place to be. Hey, it's Cindy Howes from the podcast Basic Folk, where we have honest conversations with folk musicians. Check out our very special 250th episode featuring an interview and performance with Basic Folk co-host Lizzie No. I feel like most women I know have an experience where They've been working and working and working to perform and to execute and to please everyone else. And then things sort of fall apart a little bit in some way or another. And partying can actually be a really important step towards getting free because it shows you where you need to fall apart and being on the dance floor, like in community with mm. other women and mm -hmm. in community with queer people. Mm -hmm. Like for me, those experiences have been so important. This time, Lizzie is on the other side of the mic talking about and performing songs from their brand new album, Half Seas. Basic Folk's 250th episode with Lizzie No is streaming now on the Bluegrass Situation Podcast Network. Join us there or wherever you get podcasts. Um, quantum theory tells us no object really exists except in relationship to other things that it affects. There really is no four. You know what I'm saying? Like we each have a four. Okay. And my four would actually be like your negative one because, yep. yeah, okay. Are we doing a podcast today or? <laughs> yeah, here we go. Oh, hello and hi. Hi, hello. Welcome to Basic Folk, where we have honest conversations with folk musicians on the Bluegrass Situation Podcast Network. I am Cindy Howes. I'm Lizzie No, amateur mathematician. Wow. If you'd like to stay in touch with us, you can sign up for the Basic Folk newsletter. It's a monthly newsletter where we write down our most sacred, emotional thoughts and also let you know what's going on with the podcast. So it's like a two for one. I actually really enjoy reading the newsletter because Cindy does such a great job of talking about what's going on in our worlds musically and personally. If you don't shed a tear or blood or another type of bodily fluid while reading the newsletter, then we're doing it wrong. But I feel like we're doing it right. Hell yeah. So you can sign up for our newsletter at the link in the show notes, or you can check out our website, basicfolk.com. There is like a red sign up for the newsletter button. You can also follow us on social media. We are not on, what is it called? Whatever. It's called Twitter. All right, Cindy, we're not on that. We're on Instagram, mostly, and also Facebook at Basic mm -hmm. Folk Pod. 
We're also a listener-supported podcast. You can make a contribution at our website, basicfolk.com. We are getting into beanie season. We do have Basic Folk beanies. They are handmade by Basic Folk's number one mother. You can get yours at the shop, basicfolk.com, and you can get it for a monthly gift of $5, and it really helps us out. It makes everything we do possible, keeps, keeps this train on the tracks. And basically, if you become a monthly subscriber, you're like on the inner circle of the pod, and you can feel that sense of like, I am part of this. We have a monthly seance in our minds that we don't tell anyone else about, and you will be part of it. I just shared some really cool information about that monthly seance, but <laughs> only our monthly subscribers actually were able to hear it. So it's like a dog whistle. That. Yeah. <laughs> our guest today, we are beside ourselves with J-O-Y. That's right. Jenny Owen Youngs is on Basic yeah! Folk today. Lizzie, can you share your joy origin story, please? Oh, my gosh. Okay, this one goes out to all of the emo kids who never stop being emo kids. I'm talking early to mid aughts. I'm talking MySpace. I'm talking looking out your window at the rain, listening to Bon Iver's For Emma Forever Ago when it first came out. Mm. I'm talking about red and black as a design aesthetic. Um, I am talking about getting your friend's dad to take you to a concert at a casino in Atlantic City because you really needed to see Say Anything, but you were only 14. That is the scene, y'all. Emo, screamo, passion. Imagine you're that person and then you hear the unbelievable emotional depth and lyrical complexity and yet like accessibility of Jenny Owen Young's Fuck Was I. Like the chorus is just, what the fuck was I thinking? And when she says, God, it's so embarrassing. High school me thought for the first time I am hearing an artist say my thoughts and feelings out loud. This is how important this artist is to me personally. And I'm guessing some of you out there because she has like a cult following. People love Jenny Owen Youngs. People adore her. People adore her podcast. People memorize her lyrics. And we have been waiting. The Joyheads have been waiting over 10 <laughs> years for the record that we're about to talk about. It's so exciting. She has been going through tons of changes over the past decade. Lots of life changes. She started this very successful podcast about Buffy the Vampire Slayer with her then wife, Kristen Russo. It was halfway through the podcast. The two got divorced. They kept doing the podcast. She moved what? from Los Angeles to Maine. She remarried. She has since had a beautiful little baby. A child. She and Kristen have finished up buffering the Vampire Slayer, and they have moved on to a new podcast called The X-Files, like ex-wives doing a podcast about the television show X-Files. And just a side note, she also has a podcast about uh, Veronica Mars. I would describe Jenny Owen Youngs as the patron saint of spooky little gay girls who have something to say. Jenny has a new album, Avalanche. If you're listening in real time, it comes out tomorrow, September 22nd. If you're listening after that, the record's out. 
It was produced by Angel Person Josh Kaufman, who is best known for his work with Josh Ritter, The National, Hold Steady, and just being like a general cherub of a human being. Lots of hard stuff is covered on this album. We refer back to divorce, moving, remarrying. She had the baby after the record was done, but hopefully that'll be the next record. Mm -hmm. I feel like my favorite track on this album is the one that deals with the loss of a friend. I think like we need more songs that deal with the real depth and romance and huge feelings that go with friendships. Um, It's Mm. not just about romantic relationships. It's about like that depth of feeling. So, ugh, what an album. It's so gorgeous. It's like a internationally known cliche to say that Jenny is a joy to talk to, but it's cliche for a reason. Mm. We're going to listen to clips from Avalanche throughout our interview. Stick around to listen to clips from the record and don't sleep on the prom-themed lightning round. It's Jenny Owen Young's On Basic Folk. Jenny Owen Youngs, thank you so much for coming back to Basic Folk. We're going to have a real good time here. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. I When I found out I got to come back, I was like, that's allowed. I'm so excited. Oh, yeah. For some. Um, mm. <laughs> <laughs> I passed my first so, test. We are going to get into um, your new record, which we love, uh, just a moment. But I have a couple of questions um, ahead of that. So let's get into it. After your last record, which was your third release from 2012, An Unwavering Band of Light, Mm -hmm. you started co-writing with many, many people. You got signed to a writing deal for Dan Wilson's publishing company, and you figured out the kind of work you love to do and the kind of artists and producers you love to do it with. So how did those experience of co-writing at that level impact your musicality and your writing well I think that um when I started to like dip my toe into the co-writing pool in 2014-2015 and then I moved to Los Angeles to try to do it as much as possible in 2016 I really was kind of like diving into the deep end of the boot camp pool if I can just mix my little metaphors uh writing three four five times a week uh often meeting somebody for the first time being like hello where are you from what are your deepest and most pressing emotional wounds uh let's make a song uh day after day after day and then also kind of like drilling into the aspects of what makes a song a song the melody the lyric the sort of pacing the storytelling the feel of the track the arrangement all of that stuff just doing it so much and with so many different kinds of people and picking up production tricks and melodic tendencies and just sort of like philosophical approaches to music from so many different collaborators, I feel like was just such an incredible, enriching educational experience um, and, you know, continues to be. And, you know, that definitely fed so much into 
all of the music on this record and the other like sort of more intuitive or like uh, I can point directly to it and say that I wrote a lot of these songs with people that I met because of writing sessions, mm-hmm. you know? Um, mm. So like all of that stuff like really fed into this record and, you know, makes it feel to me very different from the records that I made before it. Um, all right. So question about the podcast, Buffering the Vampire Slayer. Oh, yeah. It's not really about the podcast, but it's about the stuff around the podcast. Um, it was created with your then wife, Kristen Russo, and you were halfway through the series. Mm. You and Kristen split up. But amazingly, you saw it through and you host a new podcast together <laughs> called The X-Files. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> And through it, you said it was an excruciating process figuring out how to disentangle ourselves from our personal relationship while maintaining our professional one. I am just like completely floored that you both were able to do that. So how did that disentangling help solidify your new relationship with Kristen? And like now that you're through it, Mm. what advice or what (laughs) wisdom can you share? (laughs) Well, I think like something that really was the guiding light through our process of separation and divorce that like kept us striving to be as good as we could be to each other through that like painful disentanglement was that we had made something together that we loved so much and neither one of us was willing to give that up right so I have a child now and I understand more now than ever that a child and a podcast are two very different things but uh it felt to me like we had, you know, we had given birth to this thing and like there were so many uh, people, so many listeners that we had met that had come together around the mm-hmm. podcast who, you know, people who like met and got married, people who created these sort of like little supportive subgroups where like if somebody in the Facebook group was having a bad day, whoever was geographically closest to them would like crowdsource $5 from anybody who could donate put together a care package, drop it on their door and like send them a message and let them know it was there. Like that's the kind of stuff that was going on around this podcast, aside from just us talking about like a show that we love so much. That's like so fun. Uh, And neither one of us could conceive of a world in which we would have to lose that. Um, So I don't want to say make sure you have a kid before you get divorced so you can keep it civil. But but I think um, it really it really was a great benefit to us and like being able to maintain, you know, uh, respect and care for one another uh, to the greatest possible degree that we had something that we shared and that like we both wanted to keep beyond our marriage, you know, mm-hmm. that is yeah. really good advice. Always have a child. Always have a child before you get get divorced. divorced. As a step parent, I couldn't agree more.
let's get into this record, Avalanche. Um, and the first song is the title track. Um, Jenny, you're an artist who's like not afraid to show your whole self, like the good and the bad, like you always have been. This song takes place towards the end of the metaphorical avalanche. And you said, at the time, I was standing in the light at the end of a very long tunnel, having undergone some massive life changes, and that mm. the song is a prayer of thanks for my wife and the ability to start over, mm. thanks to your amazing track-by-track track that, that you wrote up that <laughs> I stole quotes from. So how does this song see you honestly reflecting on all parts of yourself at that very tender time? The first thing that comes to mind is the is the opening lyric if it's not too um yucky for me to quote myself but you know you asked about the all. songs so <laughs> uh the opening line is uh what i know is that i'm good at getting on then getting right back off the hook and i feel like that's something that idea to me has to do with sort of like in earlier parts of my life i before my marriage i always felt like there was like a certain time limit a shelf life to something I I would if I would if I was in a relationship that was getting around the year year and a half mark I would start to get like very nervous that like something was going to happen and possibly because I would get nervous that something was going to happen it usually did you know um mm -hmm. and I I think like thinking about sort of like the ways that we can allow ourselves to justify things behaviors patterns we've all got like very cool computers inside of our skulls that <laughs> really can help us believe anything if we really really want to and i think when i was writing the song i was really thinking about accountability and how to be a better Jenny you know um at that point I had been in therapy like for a number of years but there's always room for improvement and I think I'm slow at therapy if I if I had to gauge myself I would say uh I'm uh, thorough mm -hmm. and uh committed <laughs> but really taking my time around the bend you know now here we are in the middle of my answer or perhaps at the end Whoa. of it. And I'm wondering, did we get there? Yes. I have a question, actually a follow-up question related to mm. what you've just said, which is what mm. is your astrological sign if you're willing to share it? Oh, well, do you want to take a guess? I have a hunch, but I want you to say. Were you born in the second or the, towards the, like in the fall? Uh, would it technically, I guess it technically, yes, does fall okay. within autumn. You're a Scorpio? Uh, I am uh, the very first day of Sagittarius. Wow, the cusp. Wow. Okay. I feel like squeaked right in there. You squeaked right in. <laughs> There's definitely some Scorpio in my chart. Um, <laughs> thanks for noticing. Uh, <laughs> but my son I... is in Sag. Aw. Great. <laughs>
go. Track number two, Knife Went In. Um, so in the past, when you were creating albums, you would spend a lot of time layering mm-hmm. and multi-tracking. And we can get a little bit more into that in a bit. But on this new record, Josh Kaufman produced and you changed up your process a little bit. Like you did, you recorded vocals and guitars simultaneously without overdubbing. Mm -hmm. Um, You've said that you worked quickly with minimal takes. So what was the most challenging part of that particular shift for you as like a recording artist? And how do you think this creative risk influenced the character of this album? Mm. Well, I think that if I had known going into the recording sessions that Josh's preferred method was to work with, you know, like tracking multiple things at once, doing a guitar and vocal at the same time. Also while like Josh was tracking something as well, an electric Mm -hmm. guitar an acoustic guitar, drums, piano, um, that there was this level of sort of like commitment. Um, I probably would have been a lot more nervous leading up to it. So I'm glad that I did not know until we were sitting in front of microphones and I was like, this is how the song goes. Um, let's play it through a couple times together. And then he was like, cool, I'm going <laughs> to have Dan hit record. And I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> um, <laughs> I definitely, I definitely was afraid to a certain degree, you know, like there definitely was a certain level of anxiety where I was like, oh no, if I need to redo something, we have to mm-hmm. like, redo everything and like I don't have a problem with redoing everything but I do have a problem with like uh dragging everyone else through Mm -hmm. redoing everything you know what I mean but Josh and uh D James Goodwin who uh engineered and and mixed and mastered the record and uh uh, Jillian Pelconan who was the um production assistant they're just like such wonderful warm people and like especially Josh who I like was spending you know the most time five or six feet away from just like really cultivating a warm safe feeling space I can't I can't imagine like a better environment to have that realization right before we started recording the very first song of the (laughs) album uh and what's what's really tremendous is that it worked and it's okay I think the record is all right and I think it had actually a really dramatic impact on how the album as a whole feels. I feel like it breathes. Even the songs that we started by like, you know, recording a couple of guitars and a vocal along to an analog drum machine, which essentially is kind of functioning as a click track, uh, have a sort of life to them that can get lost, I think, in the layering and layering and layering the uh the bottomless pit of pro tools uh overdub yourself to death if you desire five remember we got so lost up at your parents place out in the sign on your face we wandered around all day all right the next song goldenrod it's about a formative friend that unexpectedly died and this was your way of saying goodbye to him and it's such a lovely 
um, beautiful uh, arrangements, very gentle. So why did this simple arrangement seem right for this particular expression of grief? I think of all the things that we can do as people, grieving has got to be like in, I don't know, the top three in terms of like simplest, most kind of like base, core of humanity kind of things. Um, I think that death in many ways can be very complicated, but really at the end of the day, death is pretty simple. And I wanted this song to feel as intimate on the record as it felt to write and as raw as it felt to live. And I think Josh, like Josh did some really beautiful, very spare piano and um, I think there's a rubber bridge guitar uh, that he's plucking away on. And that's sort of, I don't know, it's almost like lace or something, um, sonic lace uh, mm. that feels felt and feels to me like kind of the right housing for for this, for the idea, I guess, of the song, for the, like the love in the song. How did I do? I'm going to, my impulse is to ask how I did after I answer a question. <laughs> oh, I wanted to say thank you for sharing that with us. We'll come back to that. I think grief is one of the, yeah, it is one of those top three human experiences, which makes it really, really hard to talk about because I think most of us experience it and very few of us know how to explain it or, yeah. It's a great song and I really appreciated your answer. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, this is making me think, I don't know if this is interesting or not, um, but it's making me think of a conversation that we had um, for the podcast mm -hmm. when we covered an episode that was like uh, a, centered around a very large character death we talked to a professor uh, from Smith who specifically uh, their focus is on death in f film and television. And uh, their name's Jen. Jen talked to us about how, A, there's like very little natural death, like natural causes death in film and television. Usually people are getting shot or having like, you know, some kind of like traumatic event or a car accident or whatever. Um, so we like very rarely see those sort of like quieter losses um and the thing that they that they talked to us about that like really rings in my head all the time is that um what's really important about seeing loss and grief in film and television is that it like allows us to rehearse those losses before we like you know in preparation kind of for experiencing them in real life mm. talk about Everglades I'm here for it I love this track it has what I would describe as get up and go which is when a song that's like it's not like exactly a rock song but it has like mm. this forward momentum that um 
makes it extremely catchy. I want to talk about aux percussion, um, which for those of us who are not musicians, aux percussion is, I think, what a lot of people describe as like any percussive element that's like not the standard drum kit. So mm, shakers mm. and hand claps oh, and yeah. all kinds of other stuff. You know, like if you're going to use your triangle, that's aux percussion. So like, do you have rules of thumb about what works well um, mm. in your songs when it comes to aux percussion? How did the arrangement of this track come together? Mm. And or like, how did you know when it was finished? Any of that? I'm a big fan of... Um shakers maracas and tambourines especially i especially like shakers that sound kind of like somebody's got to like scrub that thing it sounds filthy you know just like (laughs) the like nastier and grubbier it sounds like the more uh preferably a gourd that's been dried out in the sun Mm -hmm. and it has really big seeds inside you know that kind of thing yes um i'm not the world's greatest ox percussionist um, though I, I do record a fair amount of it when I'm self-recording yes. in the privacy of my own home where no one is looking at me. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, this track is, uh, it features, um, actually all the, the majority of the drums, um, on the record, like the kit drums, uh, and, and some of the percussion as well were played by Matt Barrick of, uh, the Walkman and cool. he rocks when Josh was, was pitching, he was like, I've got this guy in mind. I was like, cool. He's like, uh, yeah, he's like the saddest drummer I've ever heard. And I was like, yes, Exa- precise, <laughs> please bring him to me. And even though this song, um, you know, has get up and go or bumps, as I would mm-hmm. say, uh, <laughs> he still found a way to just like make it feel also like, you know, there's like a low level uh somberness there's Mm -hmm. like uh some kind of dread running through the whole piece i think like if i'm remembering right um we had we had josh and i had done uh most of the instrumental tracking but um matt came in on on our on the friday we started on monday matt came in on the friday and recorded drums for everything we had done in, in one day basically and he just like was so amazing so like intuitive and just did you know some some takes uh of the kit some takes of the percussion and um you know with with very minimal kind of like uh nudges from from josh like a little bit more here a fill there but like make it uh Mm -hmm. sound wrong you know that kind of thing Mm -hmm. um and we just kind of like (laughs) wait uh, hold on mm, time out what mm. do you mean make it sound wrong (laughs) well (laughs) i was like yeah Um, agreed agreed uh you know fill over the bar line start filling before you think you should you know that kind of thing um there are these like things where uh, you know that can be deployed to sort of make things feel like slightly off kilter or unexpected or just like catch the listener and give them like a good like boo you know um a jump scare Lizzie yes, tells me what those are. yes yes uh, just <laughs> trying to terrify anyone who dares listen um and i think the how do you know when you're done um think i think a lot about i think coco chanel is the person who yes. said get dressed and then take off the last accessory that you put on 
Um, I try to have that just in my mind so that we never get to one too many accessories, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, But just, yeah, striving for coming in under without going over. It's like blackjack. I don't know. I thought that that was Ugly Betty's little brother that said, take off the last accessory you put on. (laughs) Let's reattribute. It's definitely one of the two. Mm-hmm. I also, um, when you're talking about aux percussion, I didn't hear either of you talk about this, but I do want to give a shout out to finger symbols. Yes. Um, <laughs> quick story. <laughs> At my wedding when we were recessing, mm-hmm. I had all my Pittsburgh friends up playing aux percussion shakers, maracas, tambourines. And there was a mishap that morning where we discovered that all of the pieces of percussion that I have bought for this moment in the Mm. ceremony were not at the venue. They were forgotten. So somebody had to go out and get a whole bunch of new pieces of percussion. And they were like asking me, like, should we get this, this, this? And then one of the things that they were asking me about was finger symbols. And I was like, everything but the finger symbols, please. No, thank you. But I got to say, coming down the aisle with my new wife, while my best Pittsburgh pals were like jamming along with their little instruments and seeing my friend Scott with the little finger symbol, he was just, he dinged it. And he, I mean, he was very dapper in his outfit, but I just, I'll never forget it. And, and it truly made me a believer in the finger symbol. Wait. Cindy, <laughs> I think I think Lizzie and I might have the same question. Yes. Did Scott have one symbol on the finger of one hand and one symbol on the finger of a whole other hand? Yes. <laughs> that is poetry in motion uh incredible yeah i know notes wow 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 very good all hail scott all hail scott yeah also all hail whoever was like let me check in with the bride moment by moment at on her wedding day as i'm purchasing the auxiliary percussion items and then let me furthermore just go against her wishes yeah disregard check in with each instrument (laughs) that she wants or doesn't want and then i'm not gonna listen to oh god song bury me slow it deals with some pretty severe childhood trauma caused by your stepdad um and i had a couple questions about this song so like listening to this song it feels like your voice like the range of your voice is it just kind of like stays in the higher range and this could be me like reading in to this but like how is that higher range of your voice maybe connected with your childhood self This is not a thing I've considered before. And it sounds like I'm just, I just kind of like came up with it, but it did feel like 
your vocal delivery, there was like an innocence or like a protectiveness of the way that you're singing this particular song that doesn't appear in other Jenny songs. For all of the things that uh, I have studied and practiced and learned and used intentionally, um, I have to imagine that there's like at least that much going on subconsciously, right? Mm -hmm. When I write a song or make a recording. And, you know, I could definitely, it feels very possible to me that like when I am, you know, living inside of this song in particular that it like takes me to a place and I just kind of drop into tendencies that might be like specifically attached without my conscious awareness uh to those Mm. experiences um now cindy can invoice me (laughs) (laughs) i think it's entirely possible especially reading about the fact that like this was a topic that has been in your consciousness for a very long time you haven't written it you didn't write about it until you were an adult Mm. So it sounds like it's, it could be a subconscious thing or it sounds like a thing that I just made up. But I feel like we've workshopped this and have come to the conclusion that I am correct. Yeah, Cindy is right. All hail Cindy. The All torch Cindy. has passed. Scott All hail is Cindy. in the yeah. rear view. <laughs> Goodbye. Cindy is <laughs> in the throne. <laughs> All right. I got one more question about this song, Bury okay. Me Slowly. Now that you are a parent, how do you hear this song differently? I think that my sort of default setting is to uh, give everyone the benefit of the doubt, um, except for myself, right? Um, And, you know, I think in therapy, right? Like sometimes if you're working on something that's old, you have to think about yourself as a child, right? And my go-to setting is like, oh, what an idiot. (laughs) That kid didn't know (laughs) anything you know Uh, i'm not like oh a child (laughs) a child with a child's like abilities and experience i'm like uh jenny uh (laughs) and (laughs) i think that like that is like one of the more challenging things that i've that i've you know attempted to do in my adult times um trying to sort of like reconcile things from my childhood is like to be able to look at you know my past self with um compassion and what is really cool about having a cool little baby who rocks uh is that (laughs) he has just changed the way that i see i don't know everything and i feel like he has made me (laughs) think that even maybe i in my child form was like okay (laughs) you know so I guess what I'm trying to say is that for all of the love and care that I am trying to have for myself in this song looking backwards it is like exponentially magnified through the lens of my love for my child if that's not too sweeping of a thing to say and I wish you could pick me up right here Speed through the stoplights and don't stop driving till we get all right. 
things mighty close I wanna know what I can't know I've seen you from across the street Chances are we'll never meet But oh, when I fall, I fall good And I fall hard Can't tell between what I need and what I want I want to talk about next time around And I want to get a little bit woo-woo Um, first things first, I would like to read a little part of your artist statement on this song. Sure. Um, when I started writing this song, I was partially inspired by an episode of The X-Files in which special agents Fox Mulder and Dana Scully discover through hypnotic regression therapy that they've known each other and been important to each other across many different lifetimes. It made me think about the people in my life and what it could mean to know them later or to have known them before. It feels like the tree falling in the forest. If you knew someone in a previous life, but you didn't know that you did, does it have an impact? So do you, Jenny, believe in destiny? Do you believe that there are people you are meant to connect with? And how does the answer to that first question impact the way that you show up in relationships? I would say that I believe in the possibility of destiny. And really, mm-hmm. I think what this song is about, like, this song is a love song to infinite possibility, which is my fave. <laughs> you know? Um, uh, aliens? Maybe. Uh, past lives? Maybe. Uh, alternate mm-hmm. universes? Maybe. Uh, th- th- stuff? Maybe. I-, I love living in a world where maybe, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, like, the most exciting <laughs> thing is that like maybe hell yeah maybe (laughs) (laughs) so what you're saying is you want to believe i want to believe i feel like the truth is out there there? yeah Ah! i'd say that i would also say that (laughs) back to the start of it next song it's later than you think Mm. it addresses your relationship to your phone social media and the internet in general and that time is infinite but i don't want to talk about that Mm -hmm. i want to talk about making friends you are living in a new town Mm. and moving to your new town in maine felt like your phone was a tether to life itself Mm. so i want to know are you good at making friends how did you make new friends? Tell us, Jenny. Uh, let's see. How do am you make I, new friends? Am I good at making friends? I feel like because the work that I do is so inherently social in a way, uh, co-writing sessions, extremely social, going on tour with other bands, hyper-social. Um, historically, I have... I think had a pretty easy time like getting to know people and and uh finding common ground and like 
enjoying other people and hopefully being enjoyed by them fingers crossed um i feel like i have accumulated so many people mm -hmm. <laughs> in my life that by the time we got here i was like whew I'm glad that uh, this state is so thinly populated because <laughs> I don't know how much more room in my Rolodex I have. Full up. Um, I think like uh, one really nice thing about moving here specifically to this town in uh, coastal southern Maine is that my wife Jess went to like junior high and high school here. So she has like a couple of uh, she has a couple of like friends that she's known since she was like 10, you know, and by some very weird coincidences, uh, friends of, of mine who lived in like Chicago, but who are from here just happened to move back during the pandemic. So like I had a little bit, you know, of a l existing kind of comfort zone. Um, I do meet people. But I also feel like, you know, so much of my life since I've been here has been about uh, building my nuclear family, you know, and um, sometimes traveling for work. So like, I feel like my, my <laughs> biggest social uh, experiences are like when I have to go to L.A. for work and I see like 90 percent of my friends live in Los Angeles at this point. Um, so like I, I kind of like recharge at home, go to L.A., social out write songs play a show whatever and then come home and i'm like ah the ocean my child my dog my wife uh trees you know and work <laughs> rad this room that you're looking at right now look up it's later than you think I gotta be honest we have a problem Got a call from the bar in Clarion You left your wallet Career alcoholic Say every day is your last day on the job Track 8 on your new album is called Salt and you co-wrote it with Christian Lee Hudson and you said it's always an adventure with Christian. There's a certain geographical or locational element that seems to work its way into songs that we write together. And this song is about the East Coast. So what's the most mm. East Coast part of this song? Wow. What a great question. You ever have that feeling where you're like, what is the most East Coast part of this song? I think about it a lot. <laughs> I'm going to... <laughs> Seems like the kind of thing I should already know the answer to. I mean, but why would, um, why would I? You don't keep you don't like write up your interview answers before. Well, no, and how could I? I don't even know what the questions are going to be. That's <laughs> the hardest part. <laughs> this is gotcha journalism. Ha ha. Mm, mm, mm. Um. Okay. <laughs> Maybe the most East Coast part of the song is the phrase "Get me out of the Midwest." Yes. <laughs> I.e. Back to the East Coast. Yes. <laughs> uh that might that might be it also there's something about like the idea of pulling an arrow out of yourself that like feels mm -hmm. very new york yes. you know what i mean um as i lived i lived in new york city for like 10 years before i moved to la for five and then i was like forced to confront 
the pros and cons of both cities, mm-hmm. you know, back and forth in my head forever. Uh, and one thing that I really appreciate about New York mentality is that you would just pull it out yourself. Whereas in LA, you would like maybe... Like seek a healer. That's what I was <laughs> I was like, which kind of healer? Or is, nope. is healer just general enough? That resonates. I live in New York and one time I got hit by a car and I yelled some of the most unspeakable profanities at that person that have ever been heard mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and then I just kept going to work because I was already running late this is what I'm talking about and I texted my boss sorry I'm gonna be late I've been hit by a car <laughs> <laughs> were you okay <laughs> definitely not <laughs> I mean physically no. fine but you don't want to be a you don't want to be on an all-day dog walking shift having just been hit by a car also it's not that serious no. I could have just <laughs> called in but that's New York baby yeah uh, yeah Nothing's going to slow you down. Okay, I have another I have another question that could open up a rabbit hole, but I really do want to know. When you sing your songs, do you go back to the emotional scene of the crime? Like do you feel in like a method acting way that you are back mm. at that place or do you try to kind of like give it a new life on the road so you don't have to go mm. back to that same emotional space where you were when you wrote it? I think that when I'm recording I'm often creating a new emotional scene of the crime, Mm. you know, because like recording is something I've done a lot of and something that I like, I think, know how to do more or Mm -hmm. less, you know, at least in, you know, some ways, whatever. Um, You do. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Um, (laughs) But also there is a fear that never goes away. So like, I think there is like a little bit of terror that (laughs) that works itself into uh every every take well you know and then maybe as the takes progress the terror is overtaken and and just kind of becomes a part of the fabric of the life of the song and then like the actual performance maybe comes through and then live wise i feel like uh when i'm on stage so much of what's happening is like this sort of energetic exchange between me and the other people in the room, uh, other people on stage, but also definitely the people in the audience. And I think that kind of like makes the song something like a little bit different every time. So we're at track nine. The song Set It on Fire. I'm like very confused about this. And it's weird that this, well, to me, it's weird that this song is like towards the end of the album when thematically Hmm. it's about the very beginning of going through all these painful changes that we've been Hmm. talking about throughout our conversation Hmm. and that have happened to you in the last 10 years. So my question is, is there a tension between subject matter and album sequencing? Not to me. Whoa, freedom! (laughs) Um, I think that, well, if you're blessed enough for people to listen to your whole album in the order that you made it, 
you know, that you like order the tracks, then what a life yeah, in this modern this era. Um, <laughs> yeah, good point. But I'll see I, myself out. <laughs> I, in ordering the album, this album in particular, you know, I, but also just generally, like, I like to think about flow. I like to think about making sure that, like, there's not, like, a pile up of, like, four songs in the same key all in a row, you know. And I want to make sure that it's not, like, all downers and then all uppers or the other way around. Not that I'm, you know, burdened with an excess of uppers, but, like, like just, <laughs> just try to keep things feeling, you know, curated, sonically, feel-wise, uh, and oddly, you know, the song is looking back to, you know, a, a point in, in the rear view, but it's also like one of the last songs on the record that I wrote. Mm. I wrote that song with um, Mickey Echo. I feel like I have been cool. doing a bad job of shouting out my collaborators who are, you know, plentiful and amazing. Uh, but Mickey is a guy that I like, of course, was aware of. Yeah, because you know he just had a sultry duet with Rihanna that was like the biggest song in the world. Um, we got together to write, and he was so like he was just like really lovely. I in Nashville, he's out of Nashville, and in Nashville, it's very different from LA writing wise. In LA, you're like, cool, we'll get there. We'll start at like one or two, you know, and like it's like eight o'clock, and you're like, well, we've got a chorus, and yes. uh, it's just like very laid back, you know, and very West Coast <laughs> or whatever. And in Nashville, <laughs> it's like, cool, sessions at eleven, we'll be done by two. Got to get home, uh, pick up the kids, yeah, you know, and then make dinner. And so I was expecting when I went to Mickey's for it to be like a short day uh but we were vibing so hard and uh just like really it was very i'm not usually um closed off i don't usually after doing so many writing sessions my sort of like i've got vulnerability on tap i'm like ready to go but for some reason maybe because i just like was familiar with his work and i thought he was like such a great artist um, maybe I was a little nervous. I don't know. But it, it took me a while to kind of like open up that day. Uh, but Mickey was like very patient and like kind of lured. And he was just like, here's a treat. Here's a treat. Here's a treat. Come out of your cave. <laughs> and before I knew it, it was like 8 p.m. And I was like, where am I? Los Angeles. This is yeah. absolutely unheard of in Nashville. I can't believe we're still here having a blast making this song. Okay, now comes the mystery. The final track. Mm. You co-wrote it with S. Carey over Zoom, mm-hmm. which strikes me as incredibly brave. Um, <laughs> just for, song, like, co-writes can be vulnerable. And mm. this song, like the subject matter, it's about a death that you experienced. So does the subject matter affect how you approach the act of collaboration? Like, when you, if, when you know you're about to write a song that, like, deals with really heavy personal stuff? And... Were there emotions or memories that were a part of your lived experience that you chose not to share in the song and like to keep for yourself? 
Hmm. Well, goodness, yes. I hope I'm holding something back all the time. <laughs> uh, I think when it comes, when I know something's going to be very sensitive, I'm I'm particular about who I'll even try to write mm-hmm. that song with. And I I did just meet Sean. I think maybe we chatted on Zoom once before we actually got together on Zoom to write, if I'm remembering that correctly. So we had had like a how do you do, I think. Um but I was, he had remixed a, a song for me cool. previously and had, had done such a like beautiful, sensitive job that I was like, I feel like maybe this is, this is somebody that um, I could try to, to write this song with. And, you know, somebody you can cry with. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Talk about <laughs> lotions and get your nails done. For sure. For sure. It's so shocking um, that you could have that. I, I, feel like there's a, a small list of men that I'm able to have that type of relationship with. Like mm. average woman, I can do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 90% of men. I mean, I'm just blessed with an overabundance of like very sensitive men. Mm. <laughs> I've accumulated them. They've uh, come out of the woodwork and I uh, lure them into my den of iniquity and song and... <laughs> make them listen to my feelings and uh, help me make my feelings pretty. S. Carrie seems like a good partner for that type of a project. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's he's like really just lovely and, and, you know, such an amazing artist and does so many amazing things. Um, And made a song that I knew I wanted to write, but was kind of, you know, really nervous to try to write, uh, made that process feel, I think, probably as, as good as it could have felt. do the lightning round i'm scared it's a very special lightning round yes but before we do that lizzie is there anything you want to share with jenny about the first time you performed a song that she wrote live yes what is happening the year was 2009 (laughs) a very good year i was graduating (laughs) from high school my band Shout out to Caroline Reese and Bridget Ruff. We were a girl band. We were asked to perform a song on the football field at graduation. Incredible gig. Guess what we chose to perform? And let, let, mind you, the, the band was viola, acoustic guitar, two vocalists, and concert harp. Okay? Wow. We performed Fuck Was I at our high school graduation. What were we thinking? (laughs) You were allowed? (laughs) There was, I just feel that every adult let us down in that situation, but it's also incredibly rock and roll, and I'm very proud of it. And thank you for inviting me to share that tale, Cindy. Is there, has this been captured for posterity in any way? (sighs) Well, there's a photo of us, actually. I'll I'll, I'll put it in the email thread. I would love to see that. We're all in like, you know, like, early aughts sort of formal 
where on a football field <laughs> playing like a classical arrangement of Fuck Was I by Jenny Owen Youngs. That makes me so happy where it, the way it was intended to be performed and heard. <laughs> and uh, also like the idea at, at the end, we really took the liberty to like really belt those like, you know that I got what you want. Yes, we like yes. really... We made it a we made it a real emo uh, banger. I am so thrilled, my beautiful legacy. I guess I can retire <laughs> now. I guess I could have retired in two thousand nine. Good thing you didn't know. Incredible. <gasps> I'm so happy. Thank you so much. Thank you for congratulations receiving to you both. that very tender story. <laughs> so glad we got to do this interview. Oh my you god, you have no I idea. <laughs> Jenny, yes. The lightning round is prom themed. Teen years. Yes. Let's do it. Okay. Wait, Jenny. but answer as yourself now, right? Okay. Yes. Answer as yourself now. What's the best part of prom? Dancing. Where is prom? Sunnydale High School. Mm-hmm. How are you getting to prom? Lizzie's picking me up in the RAV4. <laughs> what are you wearing to prom? I am wearing... What I wore to the prom I most recently attended, which was um, a sort of like high collared uh, Jane Austen gentleman's <laughs> shirt yes. with a cravat mm-hmm. and a um, like a sort of <laughs> a sort of soldier's vest that yes. I obtained from historicalemporium.com mm. and a red tailcoat with that is embroidered all over with golden thread that I obtained from DraculaClothing.com. We would like to thank DraculaClothing.com for their generous sponsorship of the podcast. Wow. <laughs> that was better than I ever imagined with references and everything. Okay, next question. Mm-hmm. What's the best slow dance at prom? Kiss from a Rose. It's not like mm-hmm. the slowest mm-hmm. slow dance. Did you say Jason Mraz? Mm. I said kiss from a rose. Oh! (laughs) But I like that that sounded like... Maybe you just really wanted me to say Jason Mraz. He's top of mind at all times for me personally. Um, What is the quintessential prom decor? It's got to be under the sea. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. (laughs) Done. I I dedicate this question to myself, who really enjoyed speaking with the teachers at prom, Who's the coolest teacher at prom? That's, I gotta be honest with you, it's my uh, 10th grade honors English teacher, Carolyn Fishbone. Carolyn Fishbone. That's right. Shout out to Carolyn. Mm -hmm. Shout out. Guys, at my prom, there was swine flu. (laughs) No, that was the theme? Yeah, they gave out buttons that said swine 09. (sighs) <sighs> they gave out promotional merch that they had made because so okay, many people I'm starting had swine to flu. See, I'm starting to see the connection between the graduation song and the prom. <laughs> so much is resurfacing. Mm-hmm. You can invoice yep. me, actually. I, yeah. Let's just get we'll a, a nice circle Venmo request thing going. Of invoices. Oh, yeah. I love it. I'm dying. What an amazing interview. <laughs> this is the greatest. <laughs> Let's do it again tomorrow. Uh, okay. Well, I'm in. Okay, great. All right. Me too. 
I'm in. Jenny, thanks for talking to us. Congrats on this new album. Don't wait another 10 years to put out another one. Thank you so much for having me. It is always a pleasure to talk to you, Cindy. And Lizzie, what a glorious day. This, our official acquaintance. Um, and I promise to do my very, very, very best to not wait 10 more years to make a full album. Thank you. This episode of Basic Folk was produced by John Nungesser. Alex Stanton composes our music. Basic Folk is on the Bluegrass Situation Podcast Network. Find all of our episodes there, wherever you get podcasts. You can also search for us on the SiriusXM app under Basic Folk, or you can check out our website. You can also share this episode with that one person from your high school that you had like a one great conversation with, but you weren't actually super close. Like you were basically BFFs for like a few hours. We've all been in that situation and you lost touch with them. But like you still feel like, wow, that was like a really great day that we were close. I wonder what they're up to now. One time I messaged that person on MySpace and was like, hey, you want to get a drink sometime? And they never responded. Cindy, no. <laughs> this could be a reconnection to mm-hmm. that one person in high school that you were like, maybe we're friends, but you also are on the football team. So it's weird. Are you describing the plot of High School Musical? Yeah, I think so. Send this episode to Zach Efron. We love you so much. Thank you for listening all the way to the end. Like literally everything we do, we do it for you. Bye. Bye. Bye.